man, that's a nice beat. Yo, haven't you heard? Time to open the word. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's nice. You know, some beats, they make you want to make that ugly face, and you just... Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much for helping us out with that. Really appreciate it. And um, so we're in the book of Ruth. Today we're going to start at chapter 3. And uh, what's unique about this series is I don't know how many of you have actually spent time in the book before. I know many of you have. And uh, for you, it, for some of you, it may be a new discovery, but I really encourage you to spend time in each book of God's word. Because really, I mean, there's 66 books, so you can look at it and you can see them as separate books, but really, God's word is really one big story. It's this large, overarching narrative that really covers the mission of God. God is on a mission and he is up to something. And in every story, there's usually three main components. You have what we call the plot. That's what's happening, what's going on. Uh, for instance, Little Red Riding Hood is going where? Grandma's house. Now, that's not going to be the scripture, but it's just an example. So that's the plot. Little Red Riding Hood is going to Grandma's house. She's going to get to Grandma's house and, hey, Grandma, and they're going to have a good time. But in each story, another element is introduced, and that's known as the plot tension, where something happens to disrupt what's supposed to happen. And that is, in Little Red Riding Hood's case, the who? Now, this wolf get around. He was in the three little pigs. This joker is <laughs> up to no good. And so, in every story, there's plot tension that is introduced to disrupt what's supposed to happen. So whenever you have tension in the plot, you need a third element, which is known as resolution, plot resolution. That which takes care of the big bad wolf, and depending on which story you read, so grandma and Little Red Riding Hood can enjoy their time together. Well, scripture follows the same kind of narrative. We see in Genesis that we're given the plot that it seems that in verses one and two, it says that the earth is formless and void. And that word void means it looks like something chaotic is happening. But God's spirit is hovering above the waters, moving against this chaos, and God, the spirit of God is brooding, and God, out of that chaos, begins to bring order and life. And as he's doing it, as he's creating, he's going, oh, this is good. This is good. And then he gets to the climax of creation and he creates humanity, human beings. And it says something about them. It says that they are made in his image and likeness, that they're meant to be a reflection of their heavenly father. Then we get to chapter three. And not the big bad wolf, but the slick, cunning serpent shows up. 
to disrupt the plot. God's got a beautiful thing going. Oh, man. I mean, there's trees. I mean, it's just beautiful. It says that there are things are pleasing to the eye and good for food. You wonder why you like nice things. You wonder why you like things that taste great because God designed us that way. And he wanted us to enjoy him and to enjoy one another and what he created. But then the serpent shows up to bring the plot tension and to say, ah, you really can't trust him. He's not out for your good. Oh, you got to take control of your own life. You got to take control of your own situation. And they listen and they disobey God. And the moment they disobey God, this beautiful creation is just marred. I mean, it messes up creation now. It messes with the animals. These human beings who were meant to, who were created to reflect the glory of God, this image in, in them now is like looking in a broken mirror. It's cracked and marred. And now where they were created to walk in love and unity, they're at each other. Violence comes. Now people are abusing their power, destroying one another, hating one another. But in this garden scene, God does something because he knows of the tension and he's already working on a resolution. Before they could eat of the tree of life, he puts them out of the garden, lest they live in that state forever. So in his mind, he's already thinking redemption, working out the plot. And the plot Eventually, we come to, Scripture says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus, to work out the plot. And not only did he send Jesus, but Jesus went to the cross, and him who knew no sin became sin. He took our cracks in himself. He took the marring upon himself. The image that was damaged in us because we couldn't reflect it perfectly. Jesus, who scripture says he is the exact image of the invisible God. God says, I know my image in you is jacked up, but I'll send my son in my image to restore the image. He puts his spirit in us and he declares us righteous just as if we've never sinned. And you and I, although his kingdom has come, it's still arriving. And one day it's going to fully be here and we're going to be able to reflect his glory again the way that he designed us to. But right now, we are like people living in the future a little bit. And we get to display to the world around us what the future will look like by how we love one another. Well, how does this tie into Ruth? Because the Bible is full of subplots. It's full of stories that reflect this overarching story. As a matter of fact, as many people as are in here, that's how many sub-stories we have in here today. And so you're in the midst of your story, but God is so big and bad, and I mean good, not like the big bad wolf, but I mean he's big bad in a good way. He's so sovereign that he's able to work in your sub-story while causing it to play into his overarching story. See, he's bringing out the resolution in the cosmos, but also bringing resolution in your life. And in the book of Ruth, we get 
to see that played out on a smaller scale because this plays in to the overarching story, just like your life plays into the overarching story because all of our stories belong to him. It's his story. And so as we turn to the book of Ruth, chapter 3, I want you to read because what's unique about stories is that when you go to the movies, you guys enjoy movies? I just want to be sure. I don't know if I was with the super spiritual. I don't know, you know. And no, I'm just playing. I'm just poking fun. If you don't go to the movies, that's okay. It's really okay. But there's something, we all love movies and we all love a good story, right? Because it puts us inside the story. You know, nobody's explaining the story to you in a movie, except the people sometimes, depending on which theater you go to, some people might be trying to explain it to you. But really, you're put up, you're put in the story, and when you place yourself in the story, you feel the tension of the characters. And in that, so much learning is taking place, and so we're going to try to put ourselves in the story of Ruth, especially in chapter 3. Now, there's a lot of things that are that happen in this story that culturally we're just at a distance away. So you're going to read it, and I'd like for you to read it. Listen carefully. You know, I like to pretend to take my video camera. I know it's jacked up, but this is my impersonation of a camera. You take it and you watch what's going on, and you see, you put yourself in the story, and you try to feel what the characters are feeling. Or you're like, oh, man, how would I act in that situation? Ooh, this is tense for me. Yeah, you're supposed to pay attention to all of that because God is at work in us. So, all right, enough of that. Chapter 3, it reads as follows. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Side note, that means put on perfume, you know. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her to do. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. What's with these feet? (laughs) At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. No, I am Ruth, (laughs) your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater 
than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did, it, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Good chapter. How many of you have some questions about what you read there? Right? It's like, wait, what's going on here? And it's okay to have those questions. If you read scripture, you should, it's totally okay to have those questions. You're asking questions for understanding about God's word. So let's look here and let me give you a few reminders here. We know that Naomi was married to a man named Elimelech. And they had two sons, Malan and Chilion. And because of a famine, they had left Bethlehem and went to Moab. While they were there in Moab, they went because of a famine. While they were there, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Tragedy strikes. You know, it's, hey, the plot, a famine, and so they're going to go survive in Moab, but now tension is introduced. He dies. Then, you know, if life couldn't get worse, both of her sons die. And it's just her left with her daughter-in-laws. She's trying to tell them, hey, you've got a whole life left ahead of you. Why don't you girls go back to your home? You can find a man, get married, and live life and be happily ever after all. Her one daughter-in-law, Orpah, says, okay, I'm going to go back. Ruth says, no, I'm staying with you. Uh, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you live, that's where I'm going to live. And God punish me if anything separates me from you except for death. She makes this long commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they go back. Now, here's what's the tension here. When they go back, they don't have any property. Not only do they have any they don't have any property, but there's no one to continue the family name. And just keep that in mind and tuck that away, and we'll come back to it. So 
because Ruth is not in a culture that is her own, she's got to learn how to navigate this life now. And Naomi, who believes that God is, is maybe punishing her, she's bitter at life. Uh, she's trying to figure out what's going on, God, what are you doing? And she's back home now, and she's been spending time mentoring Ruth. We all need people to pour into our lives and to disciple us and to guide us. And Ruth is doing that for Naomi. I want to speak to my 20-somethings right now. One of the best things that you can do as a young person is find someone wise, spiritually mature, who may be older than you in the faith, who can serve as a good guide. As you learn to navigate life, you want to make it with all the wisdom possible. I was always told there's two ways to get wisdom, your headaches or someone else's. You can make it a lot easier on your head. You're going to have your own headaches. And make no mistake about that. You're going to bump your head a few times. But be thankful and be grateful that God places mature men and women around us who can lead us and guide us. We don't have to do life alone. It's a whole lot to figure it out, and he hasn't left us by ourselves. And so Ruth has Naomi, her mother-in-law, and although things aren't going good for her in particular, she says to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? Should I not do my best to make sure you do well in life? Have you ever had things like that where you could be experiencing turmoil or, or as they say, all hell is breaking loose in your life and you can't get a breakthrough, but it looks like God is using you to bring other people through? You know, you're praying for God and you're praying for, to God. You've got prayer requests up and it seemed like it's going unanswered, but somebody come up to you and say, can you pray for me? I'm really wrestling with this. And it's like the word of the Lord comes and you begin to give them wisdom and advice. And they're like, oh, this changed my life. Thank you. And you're like, Lord, this is quicker than Domino's deliver. But for myself, <laughs> for myself, I can't get a breakthrough. Well, sometimes it just bees that way. But we just can't quit and give up, but we got to recognize, okay, it may not be working well with me right now. God is doing things I don't understand, but maybe I'm experiencing this turmoil so I can be a blessing to someone else. Maybe that's what that is. And so we just can't stop living. We've got to continue to be faithful to those around us and faithful to those that God has placed in our lives. So anyway, Ruth is being mentored by Naomi, and they, in chapter two, two weeks ago, Pastor Doug pointed out that the scripture says that as they were journeying back home to Naomi's home, they just happened, that's the word the scripture used, they just happened to come to Boaz's field. They just happened to be there. And we're not told that God speaks at all in this book. We're not told that there's a prophet. There's no prophet in this book who says, God wants you to do this. But how many of you know that sometimes the just happens don't just happen? There is a conductor of the orchestra 
organizing the symphony in a certain way so that things are playing out beyond our wildest dreams. And so they just happen to be in Boaz's field who happens to be a relative. And why this is so important is because now Naomi is starting to realize, oh, wait a minute, there could be a blessing in the mess because he's our relative. Now, why this is important, I told you that they've lost their land and there's no continuation of the family name. Now, in Israel-like culture and a lot of Eastern ancient cultures, two things are important, that you have land and that if you have land, that it's kept in the family. The other thing is that the family name continues. Now, the only one who can make this happen for Naomi and her daughter-in-law has got to be a man. And her husband and her boys are dead. When your back is against the wall, and just when you think it's over, a just happen happens. And so Boaz is, the, is a close relative, and there is a law that makes provision in, in the Hebrew culture for those who have lost their land or may be in debt. God made provision for those things in the laws. And there's a, a particular law that deals with a kinsman redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. And so what this means is that, for instance, let's just say it was Ruth's husband that died and not her sister-in-law, Orpah. Orpah's husband could have said, hey, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you because you're my family. I'll, I'll act as a kinsman redeemer. I'll make sure you got a place to live. And also, he would give her a son to continue on the name. That was the provision that was made, but it also provided her, because she was a widow, she would have sustenance and she would be cared for. So now, because they're in this situation, Boaz could be a potential redeemer. And so Naomi is like, oh, okay, I've got to coach this girl. And she says, so anoint yourself. Sounds so spiritual, right? Oh, baby, you smell so anointed, right? (laughs) Really, put on some perfume. Put on your nice dress. Put on your heels. Because things are about to change. (laughs) And it's funny and it's comical, but, you know, you've been smelling like barley. And God is up to something, so it's important you prepare yourself for what he's up to. And so I know you've been been working hard, but, you know, it's a possibility you can go from working in the field to owning the field. (laughs) So you got to be ready. You just never know. You never know what God is up to. You never know. So she tells, come on, get yourself fixed up. But now, don't be all loud. Don't wear the red dress. (laughs) Keep a low profile. Because you want to smell nice, you want to look nice, but you don't want to be too, you don't want to stand out too much. And I want you to pay attention to where he lies down. Now, 
one of the things that commentaries, some of the commentators and the scholars say about this passage is that it is filled with all kinds of sexual tension. There's tons of it in the way that it's written. Now, don't get spiritually deep on me now because a truth is, is that sometimes situations that we're in and life is filled with sexual tension. We're human beings. And you could kind of be a little salty at Naomi. It's like, why is she putting Ruth in a situation like this? And one of the things that could have happened is if Boaz could have consummated, some scholars believe, the marriage this night if he had chosen to marry her. But as Ruth goes and does what she says to uncover his feet and to lay at the feet there, these are part of customs, all of a sudden he said, the scripture says that he was startled. About midnight, and he was startled. What was it? It was the anointing. <laughs> Woke him up out of sleep. The anointing will do that for you sometimes. Wake you up out your sleep. And so he's startled out of his sleep, and he's like, who is that? And she says, I'm Ruth. And she says to him, your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, coded language again. She's not talking about chicken wings. She's not being weird or anything like that. What she's saying, if, even if you remember in chapter two, when Boaz first met Ruth, one of the things he, when he blessed her, he said, may God spread his wings over you. May he cover you. May he protect you. And what, in a sense, what she's saying to Boaz is, look, I'm out here and I need covering. I need protection will you be the kinsman redeemer? That's what she's saying to him. And his response is, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made, made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He's, he's, he's honored that first of all, she even asked him, to be the kinsman redeemer. And he calls her, what kind of woman? Worthy, wanted to see if you were with me here. But he calls her a worthy woman. That's the same word that was used to describe Boaz as being a noble, good, worthy man. He says to her, you are a worthy woman. As a matter of fact, that word is the same word that's used to describe the chapter 31 in Proverbs. You may have read that chapter. If you haven't, just mark it down and go look at it. But it's known as the chapter about the virtuous woman, the worthy woman. That's what kind of woman he says Ruth is. Now, notice this, you know, the, the fall the tension in the plot of God's story has jacked us up. It's ruined relationships because men and women were created to walk in harmony, both of them reflecting the image of God. And in this story, not only do you have a worthy man, but you've got a worthy woman. What potential in a partnership like that? 
a worthy man and a worthy woman. What would it be like if we were a community of noble men and noble women? Where we reflected solid integrity. And even in the fact that she's there at Boaz's feet and Boaz, you know, he's like, what's going on? Wakes up, Ruth introduces herself, and she's like, hey, redeem me. You know the law, redeem me. And it's funny because I just thought of this this morning when I was thinking about this. Boaz, like, it's true I'm a family member, but I'm not the closest redeemer. Like, how he come up with that that fast? I was just wondering, like, did he, did he have the family names? You know, he's just like, oh, let me look. Oh, nope. Just wondering, I don't have an answer for it, but just wondering. Maybe he's been blown away by Ruth and he already said he was in an earlier chapter. And so maybe he's like, this thing could work too. You know what I mean? It ain't all on Ruth, it ain't all on Naomi. Boaz ain't no fool, <laughs> right? It's important we don't over-spiritualize it. And so notice here, and as a man, because of the way that the passage is written, he has an opportunity here to violate and to defraud Ruth. He has the opportunity, but he doesn't. He doesn't. How many of you have been seeing the hashtag Me Too, where women have been coming out about situations where men have dishonored them? and have said all kinds of things to them inappropriately. Now, the same thing happens to men as well, as women dishonor them and say inappropriate things. But here you have a, a situation where there's all kinds of sexual tension in this passage, but Boaz and Ruth act honorably towards one another. We're saying, I, I know what I could do, but I'm going to act in your best interest. What if we were that kind of community? That women weren't worried when they came here because they knew that the brothers were gonna honor them and esteem them better than themselves. And if they saw another brother getting out of pocket, they would go up to him and say, yo, fella, let me holler at you for a second. And let me holler at you for a second is, yeah, we need to talk. It could be you owe me money, but it's, we got to talk. <laughs> <clears throat> and call that brother to a higher standard. But where our sisters would say to one another, hey, this is not how we walk. But as believers reflecting the image of God, this is how we were meant to do it. What if we could become a community like that? Now there have been many of us affected by people behaving towards us inappropriately. And for those among us that that's happened to, there is redemption, there is healing, and there is restoration. You're in the right place. And maybe you, you might even feel like dirty or filthy because of what may have happened to you, but my God washes whiter than snow. He is able 
to take those wounds, pour ointment on it, bring healing, remind you of your true identity. Because before you ever got here, he already decided that you would reflect his image and likeness. So you were created to be a reflection of his glory. And no matter what the enemy has done to stop you from shining, God can restore the shine. Because when the shine is restored, he gets glory. It ain't about us, but when people see us, they see his reflection and they turn to him and they give him glory. That's why we need to shine. That's why we need to shine. And so Boaz, he says to Ruth, he says, it's true. I'm a relative, but wait, there's one closer. Ruth might have been like, dang. But I know Boaz was like, man. There's one closer. And he said to her, but give me some time. I'm going to work it out in the morning. Thank God for the morning. <laughs> you know, midnight all might not be well, but thank God for the morning that the morning comes. And so, you know, Ruth goes back to Naomi and she's like, what happened? What happened? And she says, well, she tells her the story and she says, okay, and listen to this wise woman's words. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. Now, I want to tell you how the matter turns out, but I won't be able to do that till next week. But sometimes it's like that in life. We're like, God, we're waiting on you right now. And God is like, wait and be of good courage. Just wait, just hold on. I know you don't see the end. You don't know what's going to happen. But sometimes you just got to let God handle it. While you're trying to figure it out, while you're worrying it out, God's working it out. And so have confidence in him that he's going to take care of it. Some of you right now, you are tired. You feel like you've been waiting for a long time. Scripture says, don't be weary in doing good because you will reap in due season if you don't give up. What is he saying? He's like, just, I'm going to show up. Just hang on. Don't get tired. Just hold on. You know, Scripture talks about David was going through a hard time and he was in a cave. But the Scripture says this. It says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, that word encouragement means to resist getting tired, refusing to get weary and to make oneself strong. How did David encourage himself? You know what I believe? I believe that David began to remind himself of God's faithfulness. Remembering, wait a minute, he didn't bring me this far to leave me. <laughs> he's, not gonna, he's not a God who abandons his people. Oh, it's going to be all good. God is going to take care of me. God has not forgotten about me. He knows exactly where I am. And so Boaz is going to handle the business in the morning. And there's much more I want to say to you next weekend about the kinsman redeemer because there's a, this is a tough deal. This is, we're talking about risk, being a kinsman redeemer, 
has some risk involved. And I'll tell you about, about that next week. But as we come to a close here, being in this story, there may be all kind of things and questions that are arising or God may be putting his finger on certain things. And it's good that you take notes from these messages, but I want, what I want you really to take note of is what the Spirit is speaking to you. To pay attention to that and hold on to that. As the prayer team was praying this morning, and I got to be in on a, a little bit of it here, there were some things that they sensed that God was up to in our community. And I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute here. But one of those things was hurting hearts. Hurting hearts. That you may be dealing with some kind of hurt or some kind of wound. Jesus is here. For those who are feeling burned out. For those who are burdened for children who have gone astray. And then this last thing, these last two things I want you to listen to because they didn't have any idea of what I was sharing. Those hurting from abuse. Those hurting from abuse. And then for purity. If these are issues that you are dealing with or wrestling with or things that are on your heart this morning, and I'd like to add for marriages. You know, we need people or healthy marriages in the sense where it's not just a spiritual woman and it's not just a spiritual man, but both of you are being spiritual leaders together. Maybe there's a sense of, man, we gotta, we gotta be unified and we both gotta be going for God. They're going to be coming to pray, so I'll invite the prayer ministry team to come forward now. And they're going to be standing up front here. And if you are feeling any of those things going on inside of your heart, please come up and allow them to pray with you. Please stand with me. God, we want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that no matter what kind of job I do in communicating, your word has its own power. Thank you that your spirit is already at work in hearts. God, thank you for these things that you have brought to the prayer team because it lets us know that we are on your mind. And God, who are we that you are so mindful of us? that you are able to see our faults and our struggles and offer healing, compassion, and grace in our time of need. We want to say thank you. And God, I want to pray for those who know that they should come for prayer. I want to pray that they would have the courage to come forth. And God, I thank you that Satan is already defeated because of what you have done on the cross. That because you shed your blood. You made it be known that we belong to you and he has no authority in this place. And so, Father, we speak to the enemy, to those he may be holding back in fear, and we say, let him go in the name of Jesus. And, Father, we pray that they would be released to come and to receive prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.